Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And we're going to look back on a moment in history, a moment in MMA history. One of the great champions in UFC history, Khabib Nurmagomedov, retires in the cage at UFC 254. Surprises everybody. I think everybody thought that he was going to do it maybe when he got to 30, you know. But he shocked everyone, including his coach, as it turned out. Javier Mendez speaking, uh, speaking today, basically saying, I had no idea this was going to happen. So, huge story. Uh, obviously, he's had a very, very turbulent time of things. Um, but we're going to talk Khabib, we're going to talk his legacy, we're going to talk his performance to defeat Justin Gaethje in the main event. But UFC 254, Sandu, big, big event, and uh, it delivered. I mean, aside from the main event and everything that went around it, it was just a top to tail, a really, really good card. Yeah, it really was. And um, and not just the main card, but the prelims were, were fantastic as well. And we, we kind of talked about this a little bit last week. Like, there are, there are a few more pay-per-views left in the calendar for the UFC before we kind of round out 2020. But we both knew, we both talked about this last week, this was the last really, really big one. You know, Khabib has been one of their biggest draws Top two, top three, I, I would say, uh, in the last couple of years. And, you know, we, we kind of knew that the traffic was going to be big going into the weekend. And the fallout, especially given his decision to retire, has just compounded what a memorable event this has been. Not just for MMA fans, but I guess for sports fans in general. And there's lots to discuss, there's lots to talk about, which has really kind of excited the new cycle. This there's just tons of discussion going on in the sport right now, which is really nice, which is awesome, both for, I think, mostly good reasons. I think, I don't want to say bad reasons. I think the only thing about Khabib retiring, and I'm sure we're going to get into it shortly, is we're all just so selfish, aren't we? We, we, we would have loved to have seen him at, at least maybe one more until he hits the, you know, 30 and 0, or who knows, maybe even, you know, he continued to fight for a few more years just given how good this guy is but um yeah it's just um these are the kind of weekends you look forward to simon throughout the calendar year and yeah this one delivered big time yeah it was a it was a big show all in i mean it was a it was a good show for us guys on 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 my side of the pond because it was on at a decent a decent time of day i mean i'd, I'd wrapped up Bear in mind, I had quite a bit of extra work to do by the time that event had finished. You know, we weren't we weren't counting on a retirement um, for for one of the biggest stars in the sport, so that kind of extended my work day somewhat. But I was all wrapped up by half eleven. It was lovely. Uh, I then probably needed another hour to just chill out and compress for a bit before I actually before I actually uh, turned in for the night and actually got some sleep. But it was it was nice to have it all on on prime time on this side of the pond and. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the card the card was great, but I mean, let's let let's talk about the thing that everybody's talking about is Khabib, his retirement and the legacy that he leaves. Um 29 and 0, 13 and 0 in the UFC. Um he defended his title 3 consecutive times and submitted his opponent on each occasion. Uh I believe it was initially uh, claim that that was the first time that that's ever happened but uh, I think Jimmy Smith 
uh, went on Twitter and actually pointed out that it has happened before. I think uh, Frank Shamrock has submitted three in a row while while being a champion, although a couple of them were taps due to strikes, but they were submissions. Um, but modern era, you know, Khabib has, has got a, a pretty incredible resume. And uh, the talk now is over quite where he fits in to the GOAT conversation. Now, I'm not going to completely retread everything that I, I spoke about in the the bonus podcast that I did immediately after the event. Um, but I've, I've, I've written a piece for MMA Junkie today. We do a thing called Triple Take where three of us weigh in on a topic uh, and quite quite often we'll have different opinions. And it was, I actually sat down and tried to work out who I thought my MMA GOAT was. And it's much, much harder than, uh, than, than I thought it would be. I thought this would be a very easy thing to do. Long and short of it, Khabib is in the discussion. He's on that top table. If you're elevating a group of fighters over and above everybody else, he's one of them. I don't think I can quite pull the trigger on calling him the greatest of all time. I don't think, I don't think his title reign was long enough. I think if his title reign had run into double figures like some of his predecessors and he was still undefeated, then I don't think there would be any argument. But I think because his title reign came so late in his career... That kind of counts against him a little bit. And I hate the fact that when you talk about the goats, Sandu, you inevitably end up picking holes in stuff that you really shouldn't be picking holes in because whether you're talking about GSP, John Jones, Anderson Silva, Demetrius Johnson, Amanda Nunes, Daniel Cormier and Khabib, because they're all the names that I think deserve to be at that top table. Once you start comparing them, inevitably you start saying, well, this person lost their belt. This person failed a drug test. This person wasn't champion for long enough. Whatever it is, you have to pick a negative and it's it's kind of sad. But that is the reason why I haven't got Khabib as my absolute number one. Um, but uh, undoubtedly, he has left an incredible, incredible legacy. And I think that legacy will get bigger as the years go on because he has opened the doors for Dagestani MMA now. Um, and I fully expect him to take on the role um, that was vacated by his by his father when he passed away and he will eventually become the figurehead of that Eagles MMA collective and he will be he will be the uh, that father figure if you like um, I think that's probably the next role for him um, I'm sad that we're not going to get to see him in a cage again but when you hear the reasons for him retiring Sandu I don't think anybody can can say a bad word about his decision I think it's absolutely nailed on yeah, absolutely. So I want to kind of just split my take into two parts here. First of all, just talking about the performance, just emphatic, incredible. And the fact that he told Daniel Cormier, who shared this story with Ariel Helwani earlier on today on, on their show, the DC and Helwani show, that he was essentially looking for the armbar, but then decided to switch it to the triangle choke because he didn't want to essentially... Uh, embarrass Justin Gaethje um, in front of in front of his parents uh, to to make him kind of tap out in that manner, which a bit of a moot point at this you know at this stage anyway, because Gaethje did tap, end up end up tapping out. Maybe it's the fact that he didn't want him to essentially break you know break his arm and and leave his parents distraught um, with their son being kind of injured there. And um, wow, just the, the the performance caps off just an incredible run as champion. Submits Conor McGregor, submits Dustin Poirier, submits Justin Gaethje, the three of the absolute best of his era, all in their prime, all 
at the peak of their powers. No injuries, no bad weight cuts or anything like that whatsoever. And he dismantles them in a domino effect, better and better as he went along. With McGregor, it was a fourth-round stoppage. Dustin Poirier, a third-round stoppage. And Gaethje, a second-round stoppage. I mean, just incredible stuff. The guy is in his early 30s. He's 29-0. and 0. We haven't seen a chink in his armor. He's, I think, only lost like a round or two on the, on the actual scorecard, which is nuts. And he's decided to walk away because he promised his mum, in a nutshell. I mean, it doesn't get any powerful any more powerful than that that's that's emotional stuff there god knows what's what he's had to deal with um with his with his you know father passed away for his father and his coach right i've lost my dad when i was a kid um different circumstances if anyone's lost a parent you know you know what it's like right you think about them all the time let alone one of the the, the most famous sports stars and athletes in the world who's you know, the top of the division, the champion, a figurehead for the promotion and the sport is someone that is an icon in Russia, in Dagestan, a, a person that so many people, so many of his countrymen look up to, kids look up to. He's an idol to them, you know. And so to carry on the weight of the world on his shoulders this year to get that title defense. And, you're, and the thing is, Simon, the, the, the moment itself was shocking and I actually reacted initially in in a, in a state of shock when he retired, and then I rewatched the fight and I rewatched the interview like an hour or two later, and then it really hit me. Then I started to absorb everything that was going on and all of his emotions, because it was like you said, just last week or in in, in the build up to the fight during fight week, he was talking about the, the the ludicrous statements people were making about his impending retirement. He's like, "What are you talking about?" You know, I'm here to compete. So, you know, great poker face, first of all. I mean, to keep this so close to the chest, obviously, you know, none of his teammates and coaches, anyone anyone really knew about it. So he caught everyone off guard with this announcement. But, man, what a poker face to kind of keep that all in. We're all thinking, yep, he'll, you know, win this. And we're going to start talking about a Conor McGregor rematch, maybe, or a George St. Pierre fight in 2021. And he's decided to walk away. Now we're talking about the GOAT discussion and all that kind of stuff. Simon, I, I, I tell everyone behind the scenes about this kind of stuff. The GOAT talk, the GOAT conversation, it makes for great content. It always gets clicks. It always gets views. It always gets the MMA community, you know, in a state of debate and discussion. People, you know, want to weigh in and give their two cents. So, yeah, as someone that works behind the scenes as we both do we we know that when we put that out there whether it's as an individual or on behalf of a brand or working for a news outlet yeah you know that's going to get views and do numbers right personally i don't give a monkey's about the goat status personally because you know what it's meant to be fun we can have a fun talk about the goat list because it's completely subjective do you include PED infractions do you not do you include double champ statuses? Do you not? And all the do you include an undefeated run and a record? Do you not? Right. So all these things. It's fun. It's meant to be subjective. Everyone's going to have their own criteria for for who is the goat and who makes their kind of goat list. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. For me, George Saint Pierre is still number one. Khabib isn't going to take that number one spot, 
um, if, if if this is all we've got to look at, and if he retires and he's walking away and he's never going to come back, and this is what we've got to look look at right now, he doesn't crack that spot for me. It's still George St. Pierre's spot for me in my book. Now, does he enter that top five, maybe even that top three? Yeah, I think he does. And we can have a fun conversation about that. But what he does leave behind, I think, is just an impeccable record. One of the greatest fighters the sport has ever produced. Probably, you know, right now, things currently stand, arguably the greatest lightweight of all time. Um, I think that's the easier one to, to cement right now, is to give him the title of the greatest lightweight of all time. And that, and he said that himself. He said that when he walked away from the sport, he wanted to be undefeated. He wanted to be the greatest of all time uh, in the lightweight division. He wanted to be the, the, the lightweight champion. And he wanted to be declared the pound-for-pound pound number one fighter in the world. And I think when this pod goes out to the masses and we look at the UFC rankings, that will they will give him that spot. Uh, this all, I mean, it hasn't been updated as of right now as we're talking, but there's been some news from panelists and ex-panelists on that UFC rankings board that basically said, yeah, he's getting the number one spot. Now, again, we've talked about the UFC rankings. You know, we, we don't really care too much about them, but he cares about them. So for him, having that status as he, as he leaves the sport is huge for him. So he's got everything he's wanted. And like you said, Simon, he is going to take on that mantle his father's left behind. He's going to be the head of Eagles MMA. And he is just the first of an absolute army. Some of who, some of who are already in the sport. Some of who are already in the UFC. But let me tell you, there's a lot more coming. And the bar has been set high by Khabib to do what he's done. And we can talk about a few of them that competed on the weekend. But man, that part of the world, that region of the world, has already produced arguably one of the greatest of all time. And there's a lot more coming. So it's going to be exciting times in the sport. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at their success in amateur wrestling, being able to produce champions. And there, it's long been said that wrestling is the best base for a mixed martial artist because it allows you to control where the fight goes. Um and um, in terms of Dagestani wrestling, uh, they are they are the best of the best, um, and uh, they're they're being converted to to mixed martial arts. Obviously, a lot of a lot of uh, people over in that part of the world they train combat sambo, which is a pretty solid a pretty solid transitional base to get from just wrestling through to MMA. Combat sambo has an awful lot of aspects to it as well, so. Yeah, I mean it is it is a hotbed for the sport and um when you've got a figurehead there just like Irish MMA experienced a, an explosion led by Conor McGregor uh Dagestani MMA Russian MMA will experience or has experienced the same with Khabib um and now Khabib I think will will move into that coaching position and 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 will just keep that keep that moving and uh I th- I think we will see fighters who over time, will be ranked alongside Khabib in terms of how good they are. It's just, that's the nature of the sport. You know, I remember we were watching Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre in their prime thinking, well, we're not going to see anyone like them. And now we're, we're you know, John Jones showed up and we see we see everything that he's done. Demetrius Johnson um, became an incredible, incredible fighter. And if you're looking more contemporary than that, Israel Adesanya, is uh, showing new levels to the striking arts within the sport of mixed martial arts. And maybe in a few years' time, when we get to the end of his career, he'll be 
a fighter that we end up talking about in that in that goat conversation as well. Goat conversation is good fun. Um, and uh, but the thing that is going to I think it's probably got me more excited than anything. Um, Khabib, very very dominant fighter, sitting at the top of one of the most exciting weight classes in the UFC. But all the while he was there, that belt was locked up, right? No one, no one's getting the belt off Khabib, right? Khabib is gone now. Khabib is retired. The belt is up for grabs. And my goodness me, you've got a huge list of fighters who can lay claim to one in a shot at the vacant belt. Um, if ever, if ever the UFC were to change tack and say, do you know what? Let's do a tournament. Let's go back. Oh, just go back to the old school. Let's do a tournament. The list of names in that tournament would be insane. You could extend it to 16 without any problem whatsoever. But if you're just looking at eight, Gaethje, Poirier, Ferguson, McGregor, Chandler, Hooker, Oliveira, Makashev. That's a hell of a field. And, um, you know, that's just eight names off the top of my head, right? So you could expand that to 16 and have the greatest modern day mixed martial arts tournament or, you know, ever. It would be insane. I would love them to do it. They absolutely won't do it, but I would love them to do it. But the thought of those matchups and the fact that all those fighters are elite level world class. But the thing that I love about this, Sandu, is... I don't know if any one athlete is that much better than the rest that they can sit at the top and dominate the division in the way that Khabib did, which means we're going to see title fights that are coin flip fights. We're going to see belts changing hands. We're going to see rematches, rivalries. It's going to be, it's going to be a gold era for the UFC lightweight division. I truly believe that. I just hope it's match made in such a way that they get this thing up and running as quickly as possible Looks like Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor are going to fight. That would be a fantastic way to kick things off. You could put the belt on that on that fight if you so wished. Michael Chandler joining the division gives an element of uh, intrigue because obviously he was a three-time champion in Bellator, but now he's in uh, a much bigger talent pool in the UFC division. And the door is open for other people like Dan Hooker, uh, Oliveira, people like that, who maybe haven't had that full push yet to work their way up. Ferguson, I'm kind of sad for Tony Ferguson. He's never getting that Khabib fight. He's never getting the Khabib fight, which makes me a bit sad. But he's he's got the chance to go back up there and claim the undisputed belt that he has desperately wanted for all these years and hasn't had. Um, Gaethje get a chance to get back in there. Poirier get a chance. It, everywhere you look, there are dynamite matchups. And that is the thing that makes me so excited about what's going to happen. In, in the coming months. I'm, I'm buzzing just thinking about it. Yeah, the one thing we can almost guarantee is the shadow of Khabib Namagomedov is going to loom long over this lightweight division for a long time to come. That's just a guarantee. The way he conducted himself, his performances, how dominant he was, and the fact that he walked away as champion, undefeated, just incredible. And But this is one of the byproducts of him walking away is we have the shark tank, that is 155 pounds. We have some of the biggest names, some of the biggest stars, the biggest star in the sport that competes in this weight class. And let's do it. Let's do some fantasy matchmaking, Simon, because I think 
to move the division forward. And I agree with you. I think you have to do it swiftly. You don't want things to linger on too long. You wanna, If you're the UFC, you want to put that championship belt on one of your fighters as soon as possible so you can keep things ticking forward and, and make some more exciting fights for 2021. It's not confirmed yet, but it looks like that Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier 2 rematch is going to happen in January. And yeah, absolutely. Make that for the UFC lightweight championship, in my opinion. That's what I would do because... Number one, you had the former interim champion, Dustin Poirier, who lost to Khabib, but bounced back with a great performance against Dan Hooker, right? So he's already scrubbed off the loss and he's back in the in the win column. That's a great plus. It's a rivalry. It's a rematch. And on the other side of the coin, you've got one of the biggest stars in the sport. You, If you're the UFC, you always are hoping that that UFC championship belt is wrapped around the waist of your, the biggest stars in the sport. They've got... John Jones, who's vacated his championship, so he's without a belt. You've got Israel Adesanya, who is one of the biggest stars in the sport, and he's doing things at middleweight. You've got Jorge Masvidal, who had the BMF belt. He went for the welterweight title, couldn't get that done, but they would have loved for him to win it because we saw what the numbers were, were trending for that week. That was incredible. And so I think deep down inside, the businessmen in the UFC would love to see that championship belt wrapped around Connor's waist sooner rather than later. Now, we obviously know that there's been a public spat between Dana White and Conor McGregor. So hopefully cooler heads can prevail and they can kiss and make up behind the scenes and, and figure figure things out and, and do good business because that would be good business. And then I think outside of that, you've got to do some good matchmaking in that lightweight weight class. And I think you've got to do, in my opinion, this is what I would do is I find the matchmakers, Tony Ferguson versus Michael Chandler. And... This is why I think that's the match to make and the fight to make. Michael Chandler was already in Abu Dhabi and he was going to serve as a backup. So he was very close to fighting for the title anyway. And so the UFC obviously think very, very highly of him. Now, I think without that scenario being in place, he has to beat a top five contender for him to come into the UFC as an outsider to warrant a championship fight. And if he can beat Tony Ferguson, then, and I'm not calling Tony Ferguson a gatekeeper by any means, but if you can beat Tony Ferguson, you have earned the right to fight the UFC Championship, in my opinion. And on the flip side, Tony Ferguson is coming off a loss. He's coming off a loss, off a loss to Justin Gaethje. And for me, he needs to get back in the win column to fight for the UFC Championship. And so who better than to beat arguably the best lightweight that never fought in the UFC for the last 10 years, and Michael Chandler, and to kind of almost you know, put away any idea that the best don't fight in the UFC. So that would be great matchmaking. And then just by a process of elimination, Simon, you can go one of two different ways here. In my opinion, Justin Gaethje is in Dustin Poirier situation. Dustin Poirier lost to Khabib. He was the interim champion, right? He then had to fight a top 10 contender in Dan Hooker, put on a solid performance and even then, at that moment, he wasn't exactly back in the title picture. There was talks about him versus Nate. There was talks about him versus Tony. And then, obviously, we're now in a situation with him versus Connor. And it's only because Khabib's relinquishing the title that we're talking about that perhaps being, you know, for, for the championship. So I think, in my opinion, Justin Gaethje has opportunity to fight for the title. But now you've got to fight someone in that top 10, get your mojo back, get back in the win column. And then, perhaps, we can fight for the title again in 2021. So, for me, in my opinion... 
Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, that's the fight. Oliveira's on this insane win streak. And I think for him to fight for the guy who in 2020 was the interim champion and just fought for the undisputed title, that would be a great litmus test in terms of finding out, are you actually ready for the best of the best, the elite of the elite? Are you ready to fight for the title? So I think that makes sense. Now, the other fighter that's kind of, you know, I got a lot of people giving me feedback on, hey, what about Dan Hooker? What about Dan Hooker? Well, A, by process of elimination in terms of how I've made these other fights so far, but also going back to Dan Hooker's last performance, he's coming off a loss. He's coming off a pretty bad loss to Dustin Poirier. So to put him in there right now with, you know, a Tony Ferguson or someone, you know, that's going to potentially, is, is a fight away or a win away from a, a UFC title fight, I don't think makes sense. Maybe Dan Hooker is a Makachev or someone like that. Um, but I think Dan Hooker needs to fight, you know, top ten, top ten competition. But he needs a, a win or two to show us and to show himself and to prove him to, to prove to himself that he can actually, you know, um, compete and he can evolve. We basically what I want to say is we need to see Dan Hooker 2.0 because the, the the Hooker that performed against Poirier isn't going to do well against these guys who are either fighting for the championship or are a fight away from fighting for the championship. That's how I'd book it, Simon. Connor versus Poirier for the title. And then you book Tony Ferguson versus Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje versus Charles Oliveira. And then with those two other fights, you see where the chips fall and see who performs the best, who's coming out of those fights unscathed and uninjured to produce a number one contender. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. While you were talking to me, I was sketching down some matchups. They're not the same as yours, which, 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 which basically explains why this is such an incredible division. And yeah. the, the, there are some similarities, and you know there are you know there are some differences. I tried to I I, I didn't completely finish my way through uh, 16, 16 uh, fighters. I managed to get fourteen of them in, but McGregor and Poirier is as good as booked, right? So we'll 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 say that that one's done. This is all like on a sliding scale. Do you remember? Um, I don't know whether I don't know whether you did this when you were a kid. I, you know, you might be too young compared to me but used to get things called league ladders when i was a kid or whether you played in like a tennis ladder at school or something where you could basically challenge someone one or two places above you and they had to accept the challenge and if you won you swap places so i've kind of looked at it a little bit like that slightly loosely so you've got mcgregor and Poirier at the top and this is kind of in a sliding scale so the next fight which would then determine who goes on and faces the winner of the mcgregor Poirier fight Chandler versus Ferguson. I think we're kind of agreed on that. Then things get a little bit more mixed up and I'm looking sort of stylistic matchups and things like that. Um, and I'm actually changing them as I'm looking at them. Dan Hooker versus... Dan Hooker versus... Uh, Islam Makachev, I think, would be a very interesting fight. I think that is the sort of fight where it gives Hooker the opportunity to uh, to really make a statement in a division and say, right, I'm in this. Um, there's a there's a, this informed contender who no one wants to fight. I'm going to fight him and I'm going to beat him. So Hooker versus Makachev, I think, will be a great fight. Justin Gaethje needs a fight to come back to. Um, and there is an argument that he doesn't need to be facing a number one contender straight away on his way back. He can't because they're already booked in my imaginary list. Stick him in there with Paul Felder. That would be a, a just an insane, an insane fight. Gaethje versus Felder, two of the most exciting lightweights, two of the most exciting fighters in the UFC. Then I'd book a rematch. I'd book uh, 
Charles Oliveira. Actually, I wouldn't. I'm changing my I'm changing my own notes. I'm going to put Charles Oliveira versus Benil Dariush because I think that is a fascinating match. Charles Oliveira is going to do very well to finish Benil Dariush, who is excellent on the ground. Dariush also has knockout power. Then you've got Al Iaquinta and Gregor Gillespie. You've got Kevin Lee and Diego Ferreira. I want to get Drew Dober a fight somewhere, but I don't know if there's anybody left above him to uh, to put him in there with. I think we've pretty much taken everybody from the rankings above him. Drew Dober's a guy who deserves a fight uh, ahead of his own ranking position, but I don't think it's feasible unless you're going to throw Nate Diaz into the mix at 155 pounds. So, um, and he's not going to fight Drew Dober. Let's be honest. So it's but. Just from that list, and literally the list I've just read out is very different to the list that I had typed up about 35 seconds ago because I was looking at it and going, no, that's a better fight. I'm going to book that one instead. So there are so many interesting matchups that you can make, whether whether you just go purely by the rankings or whether you go stylistically or whether you look at, okay, this guy needs to prove himself. So we'll give him a prove it fight against somebody else who's in a similar position. Hooker and Makachev would be the example there. Both of them need to get a big win to elevate themselves to that next level. But those top two fights are the two that really matter to me. McGregor and Poirier, Chandler and Ferguson, and give Gaethje a fight that really matters to get him back up there as well. So, But boy, even doing that has got, has, has got the old hairs on the back of the neck standing up. I want to see these fights. They're all good fights. There is no... like You chuck all those names in a hat and just pull them out randomly. Um... We could do that for a for a bonus show. We could just do a tournament draw, lightweight tournament draw, and see and see what we get. There will be no bad fights in that in that tournament, none. And it won't matter how it works out, whether you seed the tournament or you just pull them out randomly into brackets and let it play out as it as as it may. It would be the most insane thing the UFC have ever done, which I'd love to see, but it won't happen. But hey, this is this is what these sort of podcasts are for. We can we can. We can play this stuff out now in the playgrounds of our minds, Sandu. Yeah, and I think we're going to find out some answers to these questions very, very soon because the whole Poirier-Connor fight has been lingering for a couple of weeks now anyway. And look, it should just be a, a question of signing contracts and making this fight official, making the announcement so we have a date to look forward to. And that hasn't happened yet. And I'm sure that the fallout from this weekend has definitely changed up how this fight is negotiated from you know a back-end point of view if it's for a title then you know i'm sure there's money to be discussed and and what have you but i've got a feeling that we're going to find out fairly shortly we're coming towards the end of october and that fight was tentatively scheduled for january so we've got a big fight coming up this weekend dane is going to be back in uh, Las Vegas, the whole squad, the whole UFC crew are going to be back in Las Vegas, their headquarters this weekend. We're actually there now. They're, they're back from Abu Dhabi. And so I'm sure they're getting back into the war room as we speak and figuring this all out because, listen, it's a, it's a, a problem. It's a challenge. But given their roster, it's a pretty good problem to have. It's a fun problem to have in, in many ways. So it's going to be interesting to see how the UFC matchmakers and Dana White play their cards with regards to the fights they book and who fights for the title next and all the rest of it. So exciting times, man. Like I said, you know, we can maybe just to put a cap on things with Khabib. It's like, what a great honor for us to cover his career. And we've been lucky that we've had a chance to be at his fights. I was, you know, one of my gr- great personal memories. And, you know, 
we've spoken about this a little bit, Simon, before. Brits coming up in the game, covering the sport, don't tend to get ample opportunities to be on site for events, for big, the, U, the big UFC shows, all that too often. It's it's just few and far between, and especially you know at this current stage, you know with COVID and all that, it's uh, it's even more limited, right? And who knows what the landscape is going to look like when things do get back to normal, where the opportunities lie, and the world is changing. The things you can do remotely, using your laptop, you know the old blower and your phone, compared to what you can actually get from on site, um, and what companies are willing to pay, what kind of content are they willing to accept, what kind of coverage that they expect, and all the rest of it. So we didn't get the opportunities that perhaps some of our peers stateside have had over the last God knows how many years to be on site at events and cover careers of some of the best in the world, the greatest of all time. I've got a personal memory, though, of being able to go to Khabib's hometown and spend a little bit of time with him. This was going, I think this is going back maybe three, four, maybe even five years. And I was on duty for Junkie at the time covering a, an FNG show, Fight Fight Nights Global event. And I actually covered two uh, of those events in a matter of months. The first was in uh, St. Petersburg, which was gorgeous. And then the second was in Mahachkala, in Dagestan, in Russia. And it was during that trip that I was able to literally, first of all, see and absor- absorb where Khabib grew up. I'm talking mountains to the urban city that has been redeveloped over the years after being war-torn for so many years to the beautiful beaches and it was just breathtaking to see a part of the world where there's beauty but you could see tanks of of, of a war on the side of streets and people carrying machine guns and and as and it's normal you know it's so normal so to kind of grow up in that environment and then to compete and to come out into the world stage and stick to who you are, stay true to your to to, to your persona, so to speak, and and not wither, not change. You know, this is a sport about trying to make the most money for a lot of people. For most people, as it should be. This is the, this is a fight business. This is the hurt business, right? This is about prize fighting. It's about who's a draw. It's about who can move the needle. Who can generate the most revenue for yourself and your promoter, mostly for your promoter, right? Um, so. And I remember, you know, the Edson Barboza fight. I was in Vegas, and there was a post-fight press conference. And at that, and, and at this time, I hadn't actually told anybody that I'd been to Marchkala and I'd been to Dagestan and spent a bit of time with Khabib. The, and the, and what happened at that post-fight press conference when he fought Edson Barboza is he was referencing me. He picked me out of the crowd of media members and said, "You know what it's like. You were there with me earlier in the year, right?" And so. That was a little bit of a moment, which, you know, is a, is a bit of a personal and private moment, but something that's going to stick with me. We all have our, have our own memories of things that stick out, you know, during our careers, you know, being involved in the sport. And that's, that, was a, that was a big one for me, you know, because not a lot of people have been to that part of the world uh, because there's no reason to really go out there. There's no big UFC events being held there, right? Um, and so to have been there and spent a little bit of time with him, and this is before he became the champion, and then to see his rise and to see how he's conducting himself, what an absolute treat and an absolute pleasure. And, and I wish him all the best in retirement. And, and I hope he sticks around in the sport, which, I, which I'm sure, pretty sure he will be. And it's always going to be interesting to see him weigh in on things as the sport develops, both for his guys 
and and then the new generation of fighters coming through, but also his contemporaries and peers as as the sport moves forward. Yeah, I think just a final word on it from me, and it sort of just builds on on something that you just you just said there. In a sport that is all about salesmanship, it's all about turning yourself up to eleven and really putting yourself out there as a product for people to buy. Um, if your fights aren't generating any interest, then you're not really going to get that far. And in his career, he was kind of a bit like that, you know, early on. He was very frustrated when, when I spoke to him at UFC 205. And, but then he kind of turned it around a little bit and he, he, he did that big call out of Conor McGregor after he beat Michael Johnson. But here's the thing. He didn't change who he was. He's gone through his entire career and has been the same guy all the way through. So he hasn't sold himself out. You know, he hasn't sold out to to get anywhere. He hasn't done a Colby, right, where Colby admittedly just cooked up a persona to make himself notorious and to get more eyeballs on him. Khabib is the complete opposite of that. He was just himself. You will accept me for who I am and you will not be able to ignore my resume. And that's basically how it works. And here we are, we're talking about him as one of the greatest fighters of all time as he arguably prematurely ends his career. He could have gone on for another three, four years, no problem whatsoever. Whether he'd have gone undefeated for three, four years, who knows? But he's stepped away from the sport in his prime and he's done it on his terms, all power to him. And uh, I wish the man all the very best in whatever comes next. Khabib Nurmagomedov, I tip my hat to you. Um, very quickly, Sandu, because uh, yes. we're, we're under the gun a little bit on this show, uh, other commitments, yeah. not the rest of it. Very quickly, we'll rip through this fight card. Robert Whittaker versus Jared Cannonier in the co-main event. Israel Adesanya, biggest cheerleader for Jared Cannonier in, in the world, I think. He was giving him mad props for, for months and months and even went as far as promising him a title shot if he beat Whittaker. Uh, impressively, Whitaker beat him. Whitaker beat him. There are levels to this game. I think you said it on last week's show. There are levels to this game. And I think we both picked Whitaker for that uh, particular fight. He got the job done. It was a decent fight. 29-28, so it wasn't a shutout. Robert Whitaker showed that he had that championship class and uh, got the job done. He did, mate. And the only thing that I think was missing was just to, to drive it home in a post-fight interview. But look, he's got a different personality. He's a completely different character. He didn't call out Izzy's name. He didn't say, hey, I want the rematch. Unfortunately, though, these are the little things that could prevent you from fighting for the title immediately. You have, I've said this before a million times, as we both have. UFC title fights do not grow on trees. The sport moves along quickly. It's a very unpredictable sport. If he doesn't fight for the title next and fights a different middleweight and, and takes an L then all of a sudden he's just perhaps lost an opportunity to fight for the title maybe ever again, right? So great performance. I thought he would win. I expected him to win. He did win. And look, I am all up for the rematch. Sign me up. He's just proven that he, you know, he's still a very you know, worthy contender in that 185-pound weight class. He beat Darren Till and he beat Jaron Cannonier. More importantly, he made weight, no issues, no sickness. He came pretty much out of both fights fairly unscathed, I think. And he's fought consistently. He's fought within a matter of months. So these are all positive things. He wants to go away, spend time with his family over Christmas and all the rest of it. Great, fantastic, no problem. But 
I'm sure Israel Adesanya, who came out unscathed in the fight against Paolo Costa, wants to keep busy. He wants to, you know, get back in there sooner rather than later. He wants to keep earning those paychecks and add to his legacy. Um, Israel Adesanya was open to the Robert Whitaker fight. He did say that he'd be open to the rematch, but he wasn't as, I guess, as enthusiastic as perhaps fighting Jared Cannonier, which would be a brand new challenge. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I know Dana White said he'd be up for the rematch and that's the fight to make. Um, so yeah, if, if that's the fight that happens, that's, that's the fight we get in early 2021. Sign me up for that. I'm all in on the rematch. Good, you know. I'll be, I mean, that outside. I mean, outside of that, I mean, what do you do, right? I mean, everyone else is jockeying for position. Maybe do you wait for the 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 Hamans until fight to see who wins out of that one? But right now, the the front runner, the leader in in the pack is Robert Whitaker. So that's the fight to make, I think. Yeah, if he sticks around at 185, Whitaker's the fight. He's got other options though. He could move up and challenge for the light heavyweight belt. Because if he says he wants to, he's immediately going to jump to the front of the queue because that's a much bigger fight than anything they can do at 205. Although 205 is cooking away quite nicely right now. The other option is to really go after the John Jones fight. Arguably, this is the time to do it because John Jones is moving up to heavyweight. He's going to have to bulk up for that. Once he's bulked up, it's going to be a pretty long process to get him back down to fight at 205. So arguably, if he wants to do it, this might not be a bad time to do it. But if we're talking middleweight, then you know Robert Whittaker is the guy. Bobby Knuckles has done the job. On a personal level, I'm really pleased for the guy because he had a, he had a moment not that long ago where he was almost contemplating walking away from the sport. He was really struggling. He lost his mojo. He's got his mojo back. He's fighting superbly. And he is, for me, the clear number one contender for that UFC middleweight title once again. Good stuff from him. Alexander Volkov got himself a big win against Walt Harris. He wants Alistair Overeem, I think, next. Um, that would be a really good fight for him. Uh, Phil Hawes, who has been hyped as a potential star in the UFC for a long time, had a couple of opportunities to try and get into the UFC, couldn't quite get it done. Now he's in, and boy, did he take advantage. An 18-second demolition job on uh, Jacob Malkoon, who is also making his UFC debut. Um, Phil Hawes looks like a serious problem at middleweight. He can wrestle, and uh, he can he can bang as well, judging by that. Laura Murphy, we're talking about call-outs and, and making post-fight interviews, Sandy, really quickly. Laura Murphy absolutely nailed her post-fight interview after beating Lilia Shakarova. And do you know what? I think she does deserve a title shot. You look at the rest of that division. It's her or Jessica Andrade, who's only fought once in the division. So if you're talking body of work, she deserves a shot, right? Yeah, absolutely. And again, talking about calling your shot, she used her opportunity in the post-fight uh, press conference to really drive home the fact she wants that title shot next. So all power to her. Great performance, good call out, and a good use of your time on the mic. Yeah, and Magomed Ankalaev was the opening fight of the uh, of the main card against Ayan Kutalaba. We were waiting for that one. Uh, yet again, it didn't last all that long. And yet again, it was Magomed Ankalaev that got the job done. I've been singing the guy's praises for a while. He looks legit. He looks legit. And I think he's on his way back up there. But Sandu, the fight I wanted to talk to you about before before we move on is the 140-pound catchweight fight that happened on the prelims. Casey Kenny versus Nathaniel Wood. It went the distance. It earned fight of the night uh, honours. That, for me, was one of the most entertaining fights I've seen this year. Really enjoyed that fight. The pace they kept in that in that fight for three rounds was insane. And I've got to be honest, 
I thought Nathaniel Wood won that fight. Yeah, I scored it for Nathaniel Wood as well. But to your point, when does bantamweight not deliver? We're talking about you know lightweight being a shark tank over division. I, I think pound for pound, bantamweight might be the most exciting division that continues to deliver week in, week out, especially in the UFC, especially with the best bantamweights in the world in that roster, for at least for the most part. So, yeah, tough one for Nathaniel Wood, I thought. I thought he deserved to get the nod from the judges' scorecards there. But uh, I'm sure, he, you know, the, I'm sure they got like a, a bonus there. They got That got fired the night. So I'm sure the 50 grand um, will help him a little bit, you know, ease the pain of the loss. But I'd like to see him, you know, continue to chip away, improve, come back and, uh, you know, fight at 135 pounds. I, I know this was a catch weight. It is what it is. Um, but, you know, fight at 135 pounds. Everyone's kind of made the weight, you know, cut properly and, and then continue to kind of develop and, and get better. We need, we need more of these, more of the Brits you know, fighting more consistently, fighting the best in the world and, you know, moving up the ranks. Because at the moment, it's really Darren Till and Leon Edwards. You know, those are the two guys that are really flying the flag who are literally at the top of their weight class, who are perhaps both just a, a, a fight or two away from fighting for, for a UFC championship. Uh, so we need more to continue to pay, you know, to, to grind away, you know, build up their resume, get a, a nice win streak going and to continue to, continue to improve, um, especially at the top of the game in the UFC. Yeah, and very, very quickly, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a little bit more depth um, in a future show. Leon Edwards is going to fight Hamzat Chimaev in, I think it'll be the main event on December the 19th, I think it is. Um, huge fight for Hamzat Chimaev. I think Leon has slightly been slightly been played, if I'm honest. Um, they they yeah. they threatened to take him out of the rankings. There was a story coming out about him being taken out of the rankings. Um, then he accepts a fight with Hamzat Chimaev. Then he's mysteriously back in the rankings again. All slightly iffy, if you ask me. That man should be fighting for a belt. I think uh, I think he's been strong-armed into taking a very, very dangerous fight when really someone else should be taking that fight. It would be re- interesting to see just how that fight goes because it'll be a real test of Leon and it'll be a big test for Hamzat Chimaev. But we will talk about that in more depth a little bit nearer the time. We've got two big events coming up this week, Sandu. We've got Thursday night fights. We have, it's been a while since we've had Thursday night fights. We've got Thursday night fights. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Bellator um, are having a little play around with their schedule. And they've put an absolute banger of a, of, of a fight on Thursday night. Probably the biggest title fight that they could put on right now. Gegard Mousasi versus Douglas Lima for all the marbles at £185. That belt is vacant right now. It was held by Rafael Lovato Jr., who beat Gago Masasi in London um, to win it. He has since stepped back from the sport and relinquished the title. He had some uh, health, personal health issues, I believe, that led that led him to to make that decision. Musasi's back in for the belt again, and he's taking on Douglas Lima, the welterweight champion. He's looking to become a champ champ. Uh, it's a huge fight. Uh, it'll be live on Sky Sports from about midnight on uh, Thursday night, Friday morning. But Sandu, if, if you're talking Bellator, that's probably just about the biggest fight you could put on right now. It certainly is. You know, Douglas Lima, just one of the best fighters in the world, especially at welterweight. And don't let the fact that this guy's fought for the majority of his career in Bellator, you know, think that, you know, he's any he's subpar to anyone in the UFC because he could go right into that top 10 of the UFC welterweight division and I'd pick him over a lot of them personally. He's that good. Now, what's going to be interesting to see is how he performs at 185 pounds because 
Masasi has fought here for the for the majority of his career. He's also fought at 205 as well. So he's a pretty big middleweight. Um, but at the same time, I'm curious to see if, you know, not having to cut the extra weight, do we even, do we get a better Douglas Lima? You know, do we, having, you know, a bit more water in your, on your body and being a little bit more relaxed without having to drain yourself, does that mean he can go harder for for, for, for for all the minutes? Remind me, Simon, do Bellator do five round championship fights? Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. They've kind of mixed and matched. I'm pretty sure it's a five rounder. Yeah. So it should yeah. be, it should be a five round title fight. Um, and uh, yeah, it is, it, it's a big one. Although I suspect we will not need all five of those rounds. They're both bona fide finishes. Um, I'm looking forward to the stylistic matchup as well. You know, they're both, they're both excellent strikers, but they've both got solid grappling credentials as well. So, Really, really good matchup. Not, it's not a stacked card as such. There are other notable names on it. Nick Newell is on the undercard for that fight. Uh, Jake Hager, aka Jack Swagger, uh, he's in action on that fight card. Um, and uh, Hungarian uh, featherweight Adam Boric, who recently lost his undefeated record, but is a super talented fighter, he's on that card as well. So. There's uh, there's a little bit of interest further down that card, but it really is all about that main event, Masasi versus Lima. As I say, Sky Sports in the UK from about midnight, I believe, Thursday night. If you're if you're working from home, then you can probably kind of swing it. You can probably kind of swing it. If you're getting up and working from the office, you might want to you might want to set your skybox and and record it because that should be a good one. Um, that's not the only big fight. We've got a big big fight in the main event on Saturday night. Uriah Hall is taking on Anderson Silver in the main event of UFC Vegas 12. Um, it's a big fight because it's Anderson Silver's last fight, Sandu. It's his last fight. He's come out and said, this is it. This is the one. Um, and uh, it's it. I don't know how this fight's going to go <laughs> because on their day, they're both capable of producing fireworks. But on their day, they're also capable of serving up absolute turkeys. So I really hope that we're not going to get 15 minutes of standoffishness and that they're actually going to step into the pocket and throw some leather. We need no respect between these two when the referee says fight. And then I think we could be in for an absolutely brilliant, brilliant final chapter for Anderson Silver on Saturday night. But uh, stylistically, both of them love to do some of the flashy stuff. It could it could be a fun fight but it could also be an absolute dud. I really don't know how this one's going to go. Yeah, I mean, we're just reeling off the emotions coming out of this this past weekend with Khabib retiring, and we're heading into another big weekend for the UFC, their first fight back at the Apex in Las Vegas, and they're kicking off their new and their final run of events uh, at the Apex, and their final run of events for 2020, kicking it off with an Anson Silva retirement fight on Halloween. Crazy. Anson Silva... Still probably the greatest middleweight of all time. Uh, we'll see if Israel Asania can keep his run going for the next year or two, and then we can have a conversation about that. But talking about goats, pound for pound best, and all the rest of it, he's always in discussion. Anson Silva's always on everyone's list. And to see him bow out again, and here's where perhaps, you know, we'll see how things play out with this, with this retirement. I'm taking Khabib's retirement super seriously, right? The fact that he put it out there, that he promised his mum he's not going to break his word, and it was, you know, just a struggle for to to get the kind of blessing to even get to the Gaethje fight to get this final fight under his belt and then walk away is is serious emotional stuff. And I don't think he's the kind of guy and has a kind of character that is going to come back 
uh, in the future. I think we're done. That that's that's it. That, he's had his innings. With Anderson Silva, though, like we'll see what happens. Let's see how he performs. Let's see how this fight plays out. I'm curious to know if he gives the old speech. Is this his last fight in the UFC, or is this his last fight in MMA? Bellator are back with a bang. They've got money to spend. They've got this new schedule, this new partnership with their broadcast partner in the US and internationally. And signing Anderson Silva would be a massive coup for them. I'm not even sure what the contractor situation is with Anderson Silva and the UFC. Is this his last fight in his contract? Does he have more fights to go? Who knows, right? Um, all we can take for right now, though, is his word that this is going to be his last fight. And if this is going to be his last fight, then it's going to be emotional, man, because... He, you know, really helped the UFC, you know, he was part of a group of fighters to help put UFC on the map for an entire generation of fight fans, an entire generation. You know, we do have a lot of turnover in, in MMA fans. We saw a huge wave come with Brock Lesnar, a huge wave come with Conor McGregor. I'm sure Khabib brought, you know, a certain fan base. There was a time, though, when, you know, Anson Silva was that guy. The, the rivalry with Chael Sonnen, and obviously Chael played his part, really helped elevate the sport. They did some gangbuster numbers both in attendance pay-per-view ratings through the roof so and of course he's got that highlight reel you know to of highlight reels arguably one of the greatest knockouts of all time the front kick to Vitor Belfort and the list just goes on and on so what a, what a, an incredible career that he he's had and yeah you're, you're right though you know both him and Uriah Hall do have had a you know a, you know a record where there's some stinkers on there as well and they're both you know i think for the most part counter strikers right so it's going to be interesting to see who pulls the trigger first and, and how this one plays out but i'm definitely looking forward to it it's, it's a big one as far as fight night cards go and as far as stakes and all the rest of it and, and a reason to tune in you don't have a better reason than to, to tune in for Anson Silva's very final fight. So I'm, I can't wait for it, man. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And uh, the rest of the main card is solid. Andre Touchy-Feely taking on Bryce Mitchell, who is on a tear. That is the co-main event at Featherweight. That'll be decent. A good fight at middleweight. Kevin Holland versus Mahmoud Muradov. That is going to be an excellent fight as well. Heavyweights, Maurice Green, the crochet boss, taking on Greg Hardy. And then opening the fight night... Uh, main card will be Bobby Green, who is one of my favourite fighters to watch. He always brings it against Thiago Moises. Uh, that is the uh, that is the main card. And on the preliminary card, we are the Brit Pack. Shout out Jack Marshman, who has stepped in on short notice to take on Sean Strickland in a middleweight fight. Um, he flew out yesterday or this morning, I believe. Um, so he's over the he's heading his way over to Vegas to take on Sean Strickland, who is a very a very uh, a tricky, tricky, uh, very tricky opponent. I think he fought Tom Breeze um, and uh, edged Tom Breeze out in a in a fight. But uh, Marshman going over there, uh, looking to upset upset the apple cart and give Sean Strickland uh, a defeat. Strickland, by the way, coming back after a really long time away. He's had some horrible injury issues, but he's on his way back. But uh, yeah, that should be a decent fight night. They all are. Let's be honest. I mean. You know, the UFC have blessed are blessed with such an incredible roster. Even the names that might not be household names, these guys are all elite level. They're all superb. And doesn't matter what kind of card they're throwing together these days, we're getting a lot of good fights. And we are we are very fortunate that they are 
churning them out with such frequency. It's it's great news for everybody concerned, including us. So uh, that's fight night on Saturday night. You've got Bellator Thursday night. And um, I might even chuck a bonus podcast into the mix at some point. I had a sit down with the British Bellator fighter, Saul Rogers, and uh, I've got the audio from that sitting on my computer that needs putting together. So uh, I'll see if I can get that turned around before the weekend, before the weekend as well. Uh, and you can hear my chat with the hangman before me, me and Sandu get back around the microphone for next week's episode. But yeah, that's the Brit Pack for this week, Sandu. It certainly is. And for anyone that wants to support us on social media, we are the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter. Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. I am at Sandu MMA across the board on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you want to support the show, the best space, uh, the best space, and the best spot to do it is our Substack. So it's the Substack.BritPack.com. That's uh, no, actually, it's the BritPack.Substack.com. Let me get that right. The BritPack.Substack.com. And if you just drop in your email address there and subscribe, then it'll open up all the different options where you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and all the rest of it. And for those of you who do support us on Apple, continue to do what you're doing because it's been um, really gratifying to seeing some of the responses come in. Drop us a rate, drop us a review, drop us your you know constructive criticism. Let us know what you want to hear. And it's all much appreciated on our end. Awesome. Great stuff. It's been a big week. It's been a big week for the sport of mixed martial arts. And uh, we wish Khabib all the very best in his retirement. The sport of MMA rolls on. The lightweight division rolls on. The UFC rolls on. And we will be there to, uh, to unpick it all every step of the way. It should be a lot of fun as we round out 2020 and head into 2021. That's all we've got for you on the Brit Pack this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in a week's time. Yeah.